accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government. Helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. Spilling the seed of liberty every single week here for you at the Libertine in Chief, ready to go for one more episode of Sovereign Tech. This is episode 90. You know what that means? We're only 10 episodes away from episode 100. Now, of course, 100 by and large is really just an arbitrary number. Who the hell cares? Am I going to make any changes? I will leave the surprise to you, but I will let you know that episode 99 is going to be a very fun episode. And the only hint I'm going to give you is don't expect any recent kind of news. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's get right into it. So I I just want to mention again that three events that I will be at in the very near future. Um, I will be at Coins in the Kingdom. This is amazing. This is a Bitcoin event where fun is to be had. And I am all about Bitcoin events where fun is to be had. I think that is fantastic. So and it's it's a very inexpensive event to go to. We'll be at the Magic Kingdom in Florida. That's why it's called Coins in the Kingdom. Uh, and if you want to, two things. One, if you want to go, it's, again, very inexpensive. Tickets are like 60 bucks or something. I'm putting a link in the show notes at launch.coinsinthekingdom.com. Um, I will have, that'll be in the appendix of the show notes for at SovereignTech.com. Um, and you can check it out. It's from Ju- or October, I'm sorry, October 4th to the 6th, 2014. So please, you can come. I will be giving a talk there. Uh, and if and, uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, of course, she will also be, I think she'll be on a panel. Uh, either way, we'll be there for at least a couple of days because then right after, uh, we won't be there the whole time because right after we will be going to the Den of Iniquity at an Inside Bitcoins conference in Las Vegas. Uh, and so Stephanie will be on a panel there, or actually she'll be doing an introduction to Bitcoin, I believe. And uh, if you want to see that, you know, and we'll both be there. Feel free if you're in Vegas, if you're in the area, stop on by. Uh, but certainly you'll notice quickly that the price of a ticket for Inside Bitcoins uh, is pretty astronomical, especially by comparison to Coins in the Kingdom, which is just going to be a fan. Coins in the Kingdom is going to be a great event. And if you want to help with my expenses at these events, uh, all in the show notes, there are, there are plenty of different cryptocurrencies that you can donate to the show. Uh, also, of, and many already have, and I thank you so much for that. Believe me, it helps me out big time, okay? Uh, and also on the left-hand side of the page, you can donate via PayPal at SovereignTech.com. There's a little link on the left-hand side under the picture of me. And uh, anyway, and also Keenvention.info. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. That'll be October 31st to November 2nd. I will be hosting the tech panel once again, and I've got a great lineup 
of panelists, uh, some very interesting stuff, including someone else who is actually developing a game, a video game, who did a very successful Kickstarter to get his game out there. Uh, so there's going to be, it's really going to be a great event. Keenvention or Keenvention itself is an awesome event to see people that are really doing shit. Okay, and I mean, like really doing things. Uh, also, of course, the Duchess of Debauchery, Stephanie Murphy, will be there as well. She will be hosting the Bitcoin panel, and I might even be on that panel. But anyway, those are the events coming up. Uh, again, if you want to help with the expenses with a couple of those, please do not hesitate to do so. Uh, I, it is much needed and appreciated. So moving on, let's get into our rapid fire stories. And we got some nerdy stuff to talk about during rapid fire stories. But uh, first things first, well, well, hell, let's just do the nerdy stuff. Dreadnoughtus. Do you know what Dreadnoughtus is? I do. Dreadnoughtus is actually a newly found dinosaur. And this is pretty interesting. Of course, it's not a, uh, a living dinosaur, but um, th this is interesting. This is the largest dinosaur ever discovered. It is its own uh, uh, species. It is its own type. And this thing was 85 feet long. It was bigger than a 737. Huge weighed 65 tons and the real kicker here and i'm going to leave this mystery out in the open if you want me to talk about it of course you can always send me an email the real interesting thing is how it died because apparently the way they found it it seemed to have died from falling into quicksand due to a wait for it wait for it a flood Duh. <laughs> so this is and, and boy this dinosaur is amazing apparently it was absolutely indestructible and if you look at a comparison size chart i mean this is you know the t-rex couldn't couldn't hold a candle to it i mean as far as size it was truly a monstrosity uh of the most epic proportions and uh yeah some great flood just happened to wipe this thing out isn't that funny um <laughs> I'll skip to some more dirty stuff. Uh, Star Wars, A New Dawn. What is this? No, it's not. It's not uh, episode seven. This is a book uh, by John Jackson Miller, right? Yes, John Jackson Miller. Uh, I have started reading it. It is really great stuff. Uh, I didn't expect any less because John Jackson Miller actually wrote the great book uh, Kenobi called. That's the name of the book is Kenobi, which kind of had a good Western flair to it, which isn't surprising that uh, Dave Filoni, who is kind of behind Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars A New Dawn is actually a kind of a prequel or an introduction to the world of Star Wars Rebels, which is the uh, the CGI cartoon coming out uh, in October, I believe, that will continue the Star Wars saga officially after the end of Clone Wars. And of course, Dave Filoni did Clone Wars as well. Very talented, great guy that's got a good handle on how Star Wars works. Um he wrote an introduction to this, and I'm not shocked that he chose John Jackson Miller for this because John, ja like Dave Filoni, seems to enjoy a good Western flair, and you certainly see that throughout a lot of the the Clone Wars, which is fine because if you're going to treat the Star Wars world uh, universe like the Wild West, the Wild West is how I want the bulk of the world to be anyway. So, so it works for me. Uh, you know, the reality of the Wild West, that being. Um, you know, that lawlessness, there was order within lawlessness, it would seem. Uh, anyway, that that's a whole other story. But also, interestingly, you know, this isn't this is kind of the first big novel that's part of the official canon for Star Wars. And it's not the official first story to come out of that. 
There's actually a story that was in uh, an issue of Star Wars Insider that had to do with B-Wing pilots, as in the B-Wing from Return of the Jedi. Uh, that that was the the first official new canon story. So, but but interestingly, John Jackson Miller, his book Kenobi is one of the first books that's also part of the Star Wars Legends series. Which I'm gonna get, I'm gonna find out some clarity about that. We'll talk about Star Wars during a climax in the near future, uh, because I want to a I want to review the book uh, A New Dawn. Of course, I really wish it was uh, Heir to the Jedi that was coming out, which is another one of the new official canon books. But that's not out till February of 2015. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about that more, but I want to find out if these Legends books, Star Wars Legends, which are books that have previously come out, are they actually considered part of the new canon or not? I'm not sure. Anyway, let's move on from that nerdity. Uh, just letting you know, A New Dawn is out there. And so far, what I have read was really fucking good. I mean, it was really good. Um, but a little more nerd news. <laughs> uh, talk about a new dawn of things. Star Trek might end up on Showtime. And yes, I mean a TV series, an epic Star Trek TV series. It'll probably end up being 13 episodes a shot, but CBS is looking, which owns the, the television properties of Star Trek, uh, which is kind of Star Trek's a funny thing. Cause it's, it's in a way it's owned by two companies, but that's a long story. So, but apparently you may be seeing Star Trek on Showtime in the near future. And some people are freaking out about this because they're like, well, Star Trek doesn't do a good, you know, Showtime doesn't do a good job with a lot of things, blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, I agree. I wish it was to actually be on stars because stars doesn't mind being really intense uh, and, uh, you know, very sexy. I think Showtime would do fine. And the reason I say that is because, hey, Showtime created Stargate, folks. You know, it created SG-1, not the, not the Stargate movie, but it created SG-1. And SG-1 was phenomenal, especially in its first few seasons. Oh, man. It was awesome. So uh, I, if Showtime gets their hands on Star Trek, the, I'm pretty sure they'll let things, uh, you know, get handled properly. So looking forward to that. Also, term, there's a new Terminator coming out. I, I mentioned, I think it was maybe last week's episode or the week before. Yeah, it was last week's where I talked about Riddick 4. Uh, Riddick 4 is on its way, but also there's a new Terminator. It's called uh, Genesis, but it's not spelled like Genesis normally is. And apparently this is already going so well that they're now they're planning on a trilogy for it. Now, I've never talked about the Terminator series. Maybe I'll do that for the climax in this episode. I don't know. Admittedly, I'm kind of going seat of the pants here. I might end up doing something completely different for uh, for the climax. But I'm a big fan of the Terminator series, and I always look forward to new installments. And certainly I'll look forward to this. But let's get past all that nerd science fiction stuff, right? Let's get into some real, into some serious tech news. Uh, and that is Bitcoin and PayPal. I'm just going to leave this right here and just say I have it's come to my attention that PayPal and Bitcoin's relationship may get very tight in the very near future. And I am going to leave that at that. Make of it what you will and make of it that time frame of very near future. But let, I'll just say it might be a lot closer than you think. Um, <laughs> and is this in response to, you know, the Apple wallet that's been announced? Probably. Um, and that's, and let's talk about that for a minute because I had said months ago, I love to do this, <laughs> that the reason, because months ago, Apple said, look, any kind of, you know, monetary software, you're not, you know, wallet software, whatever, uh, in the app store is going to have to go. And so blockchain.info, a whole bunch of, co they all had to, yeah, except for the FIVA wallet, which is still pretty much in my opinion, top dog, as far as, um, as far as, you know, 
Apple uh, wallets as far as iOS wallets. Uh, you know, all those had to go. They had to get removed. And that's why the FIVA wallet had to get created because they had to get through that enterprise loophole. Um, and, you know, Apple banned Bitcoin software pretty much on iOS, not not on OS X, but on iOS. And I said, I said on Free Talk Live and I said on this show, I said, the reason for this is because Apple is the single largest holder more than any other company on planet Earth. No, no, no. Hear me again. More than any other company on planet Earth. Take your fucking pick of the company. They hold more credit card numbers than anybody. And they are now coming out with their own wallets. And they've already talked to Visa. They've talked to MasterCard. They've talked to Amex. They, this is all in the clear. Now, there's going to be the big reveal next week. We'll probably talk about it a little bit uh, on next week's Sovereign Tech about what happens with the iPhone 6 and all this other nonsense that comes out. But they are devising a wallet. And that is the reason I had said that they were, uh, you know, pretty much banning Bitcoin software because they wanted their own wallet system to exist. Now, what does that mean now? Maybe that means that somehow Bitcoin will get an integration with this wallet. I doubt it, but it's entirely possible. I would not rule that out. But the point being is that I think it's absolutely accurate that within a six month time frame that Apple takes an action or even longer than that. It might have been nine months within that time frame and Apple takes an action. And I tell you why they did it. And no one else wanted to come out and say, why are they doing it? I can't believe they're doing this. I'm going to shoot my phone. Why are they doing this? No one thought for two seconds that it was the fact that Apple has a new wallet out. Now, a lot of people expected Apple to eventually come out with a wallet. It's something that they've known has been explored for quite some time, but no one put those two together. I did. There you go. I think it's still absolutely accurate whether they want to admit to it or not. And, you know, an interesting thing is that I had written down in my show notes, I can't really show this to you, but I mean, it, it could be nicely dated, I suppose. But I and, and we're going to explore this Apple wallet thing in, in the future, maybe next week's episode. But is there the chance that Apple is looking to eliminate credit cards entirely or maybe even money entirely? I'm just going to stop there. Let's move on to the next story. Uh, Apple's one-time arch nemesis, Microsoft, is defying a federal court order. That is the headline going around the world right now. Now, this isn't entirely accurate. This is kind of bad journalism because what Microsoft's actually doing is they are just going through the legal process. They did not just suddenly take this big, strong stand and say, no, we will not hand over this information. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that the U.S. government said, you've got, there's emails in Ireland we want a piece of. There's info that's part of your services that's based out of Ireland. We want our hands on it. And Microsoft months ago said, no, you can't have it. It's not in your jurisdiction. Okay. And so now we get to the point where suddenly Microsoft, you know, th there's this bit of a battle and the court, uh, you know, the federal judge says, no, Microsoft, you do need to hand it over because, of course, Microsoft said, hey, no, we won't do it. But then he said we have to. And then they said, no, we will not hand it over. Now, to the, re the bulk of the world, this makes it seem like Microsoft is this big hero. OK, and to some degree, it, they may still be. I don't want to write them off and saying that they're not. When I read the news, I thought it was great all the same um, that they were taking the stand. And, and it, you can't remove the fact that they've been making the stand ever since they were asked to hand over this information from Ireland. OK. 
But in reality, this is just this is just keeping things on the legal railroad. They are just on their way to the appeal to appeals court where some real action can happen. Okay, so some people are, you know, bad journalism is happening in the fact of making people think that somehow Microsoft is taking this huge legal stand. No, they're not. But then also some bad journalism, I think, is happening in the fact that people are saying, look, they're not making this big stand. They're just on the legal railroad. They're just getting to the point of the appeals court. Well, the second one is the the latter is certainly true. They may still be making that big stand. Okay, so the former may also be true that they really are making a big stand. We won't know until it gets to appeals court, and that's going to be some time off. Um, But we don't know until it gets there what their actual what Microsoft's actual attitude about this whole situation is. So good on Microsoft. I mean, even if even if it just gets out this attitude of like, yeah, no, we you can say no to a federal, uh, you know, to to a court order. Uh, I like that getting put in the headlines no matter what. Uh, that just makes for for a great point, you know, that, yes, you can say no to these asshats, you know, in D.C. Uh, moving on, let's get into the main story here, because this is pretty interesting stuff. Something else where I think there's a lot of bad journalism and people are completely missing the point. Uh, and I'm going to read from Lookout's blog. Lookout, of course, is the uh, very popular a mobile security platform that I actually use on my Android phone, on my Kyocera Hydro Vibe, uh, and that I recommend a lot of people use. There is an ESET, or really the two top uh, top people as far as mobile security goes. Um, and so I'm going to read from here, and this is Uncovering How the Recent Celebrity Image Breach Happened. This weekend, close to 700 highly personal photos of more than 25 celebrities were leaked publicly. We looked into the origins of this dump and the files inside it uh, to shed some light into how they got there, particularly to understand how best to protect users against this sort of crime in the future. Uh, Now, of course, this is, well, I'll just keep reading because it explains what happened. Rather than a single dump of images, this this was several leaks, all of which took place over the 2014 Labor Day weekend on two sites, 4chan and its sister site, Anon-IB. Both are notorious, created in 2003 as a site to swap Japanese anime. 4chan was modeled after the BBSs of the 80s and 90s. Like those BBSs, the idea was to create a place where people could hang out, trade images, and chat. However, armored by one of its founding principles, that being anonymity, see, BBSs allow for that, our BBS design allows for that. It soon became a haven for, that's me saying that, it soon became, uh, became a haven for everything from art to pornography and political protest. Wow, what's wrong with that? The series of dumps known as the the Fappening actually started on August 26, 2014 on an IB in a discussion thread dedicated to images of Jennifer Lawrence in a subforum dedicated to pictures of celebrities. In that thread, a poster claimed that a non-IB subforum dedicated to stolen photographs was sitting on a horde of explicit celebrity pictures. By Saturday, uh, August 30th, this had devolved into an argument with several posters stating that they didn't believe a horde like this existed. 3 p.m. on Sunday, August 31st, a poster retaliated uh, by posting a directory listing to the supposed archive. And just a few hours later, images appeared from this archive, started to appear on uh, supposedly from this archive, started to appear on both sites. Initially, pictures of Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Upton. But later that day, someone claiming to be the publisher threatened that he would release all 120 celeb photos if enough donations were sent to his Bitcoin address. 
When disbelievers called him on it, he proved his access by dumping pictures of whichever celebs they asked for. After dumping a few image, images, the leaker, or an imposter, because it may not have been the actual person, posted again asking for donations to a different Bitcoin address. In fact, a separate one was set up for each celeb. When that celeb's wallet reached an acceptable level, he would post the images. At this point, a, no a number of other posters started to claim that they, too, had celeb images and posted their own Bitcoin address asking for money. In parallel, the leaks gathered pace as donations were received, whether by the original poster or imposters, images were leaked. This is why the final collection is such a mixture. Uh, there were multiple people leaking at the same time. And so the question becomes, how did they get these pictures? And I'm going to just go ahead and stop reading the story there. You can go into it a bit. But the bottom line is, with, with this whole story, is that nobody knows... Nobody knows exactly how they pulled this off. Um, the one thing that is known is that they these were all photos taken from iCloud uh, that they were, you know, which is accessed by Apple devices. So we know that much. But there's even inconsistencies in that. And that comes from the fact that some of these pictures are showing people holding phones that clearly aren't iPhones. They're Android phones or something, you know, maybe a BlackBerry. But anyway, but that's kind of the oddball thing here is that nobody really knows where these photos came from. And people are admitting to that, but they're still kind of trying to guess around. Now, Apple, of course, is taking, you know, uh, Tim Cook came out livid saying we're going to, you know, pretty much make two factor authentication uh, a standard because a lot of people would say this is what you could do to stop that is to have two factor authentication with, uh, you know, on, on your uh, on your iCloud, you know, to be able to access iCloud. And of course, a bunch of people, you know, don't don't use that in the first place because it's inconvenient. They want everything to work smoothly. And of course, that's the very heart of Apple's philosophy is that everything should just work. It should be like magic. You don't need to see how, you know, you don't need to see the wizard behind the curtain, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all, you know, pretty interesting. But the, the, the this is this is the thing here. So nobody knows really how this happened. And there are inconsistencies in the very fact that even Apple was at fault. OK, I am not going to go on and see this is what happens when you trust Apple tirade. That's not even the point I want to talk about. OK, however, all this info got out there. Um, it is interesting. Steve Gibson brought up on Security Now. He brought up an interesting point that we and this is something we talked about uh, briefly was there was this. You know, in Russia, there is this, you know, cracker group that has billions of passwords and usernames. And then suddenly, you know, a month later, maybe even a little more than that, all of these pictures of celebs start to appear. That's maybe the place to look that's a little more interesting if we're looking to place some kind of blame on how this happened. But that's missing the entire point, because what a lot of people are talking about now is they're saying these are not leaks. They are theft. This is theft of a person, you know, and this is like a breach of privacy. And a lot of tech commentators are coming out and saying that, you know what, we're really proud with society because society is saying that we don't want to look at these. This isn't our business. Well, that's great. Uh, honestly, and list, longtime listeners of this show will know how I feel about this. Personally, I wish everybody would take nude selfies and post them all the time. That way they became the norm because who the fuck cares? If, who should care if you're wearing a bra and panties or nothing or jeans and a t-shirt? 
Why is that a big deal on how a person dresses? Why is that a big deal on what a person's wearing? Why, why should clothes even be that big of a fucking deal? No one's even thinking about the fact that, well, you know, this whole celebrity dim thing, maybe this is a really bad idea. Nobody's asking those really big questions. But even that is not the heart of what I want to get at. The heart of what I want to get at is that while many people are saying they do not want to look at these pictures out of decency or out of respect for privacy, no one is coming out and saying, the NSA does this all the time. Maybe we should do something about that. Oh, you don't believe that the NSA does this all the time? Well, it just so happens the Snowden leak shows that a lot of people working within the NSA jokingly pass around nude photos of people constantly. It's a story I had saved up that I just never got to in HackSec. Nobody in society is coming out and saying, well, it's okay if we don't look, but it's all right if the government does. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If your rights, and I use that in quotes, you know how I feel about rights. If your rights are universal, then that means the government can't do it either, and yet you're not complaining about them doing it. There are huge elephants in the room with this story that have nothing to do with how the photos even got leaked or stolen, if you prefer that word. It has nothing to do with that. This, ha this is a huge commentary on society, how society ha has this, this odd, uh, you know, they, they still have this real neo-feudalism. They just so happen to treat it with celebrities instead of kings and queens, though even sometimes it's still kings and queens. And also how they don't, as long as we're safe, you can look at me nude. But if it has nothing to do with that, then no, you cannot look at me. There's just these gigantic inconsistencies that this story is bringing to light so readily and no one in the media is talking about it to say nothing of the fact that the celebrities also are saying oh well that's not me that's not me that's not me and it's like well wh what are you ashamed of what are you I'll be back with more of this is Are you searching for your soulmate? Someone you can trust, who will never betray you, or cooperate with the NSA? Stop searching. With EasyDNS, you found a keeper. EasyDNS does it all. Domain names, web hosting, and managed WordPress hosting. EasyDNS stands up for your internet freedom. And with servers in Canada, they do not cooperate with the NSA. Go to EasyDNS.com. You'll love their services or get a full refund. They guarantee it. And they accept Bitcoin. That's EasyDNS.com. Hello, Mr. Sovereign. Brian Sovereign. And yours? Natalia. Care to play a game of roulette? I'd love to. Number and color? 69. Black. As you wish. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover stories that get sent to me or brought to my attention through the various channels available. Of course, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net is the email address. You can do it via Twitter, via BitMessage, uh, via RetroShare, via, holy hell, there's so many ways. Or you can even tell me in person. This one actually was delivered to me in person. Uh, and I thought it was a really fascinating story. And I actually have two stories here 
that I want to cover, which are going to get into a subject that maybe we can talk about in depth more in the future, because it is a very serious issue uh, that deserves a lot of attention. Um, and this uh, story in particular here is coming from The Telegraph, and it is Hitchhiking Robot Charms Its Way Across Canada. Now, I wish I could show you a picture of this thing because it looks positively ridiculous. Uh, it is not tall at all. It's wearing like these uh, kind of quote unquote cute rubber rain boots. Uh, and it's sort of like it's, it has arms and legs, uh, you know, maybe maybe four or five feet tall here. And it kind of has the look of uh, of B9 from, uh, you know, from Lost in Space, from not from the, the great 98 film, but from the, uh, you know, the 60s television show, 60s, 70s television show. Uh, so let's uh, let's get into the story here. A talking robot that has been hitchhiking rides from strangers to travel from Canada's east to west coast reached its final destination. Hitchbot, a robot created by a team of Ontario-based communications researchers studying the relationship between people and technology, has used his garden-gloved thumb to traverse the Great White North. And yes, it's wearing like these, uh, you know, yellow rubber gloves like a gardener would. He, he has traveled from, it's interesting they call it a he, he has traveled from Halifax, Nova Scotia, to uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, and reached its final destination, Victoria, British Columbia, on Saturday, according to the Toronto Star. The robot's co-creator, David Smith, who teaches in the Department of Communication Studies at Ontario McMaster University, said the creators wanted to situate robotics and artificial technologies into unlikely scenarios and push the limits of what robotics is capable of. The team also programmed Hitchbot to track its adventures online and take pictures to post on Twitter and Instagram. It did not take long for Hitchbot to become a social media sensation. And truth be told, many of the people who have offered him a ride already knew about him before encountering the bizarre contraption. Mr. Smith said its Instagram following was approaching 11,000 people. Its Facebook account had garnered more than 41,000 likes, and it has nearly 32,000 Twitter followers. Uh, social and traditional media have really ensured that Hitchbot, Hitchbot is well known, Mr. Smith said. Some uh, drivers have tried to search its location, and in most, most cases, Hitchbot has had multiple offers. Now, the... This is the thing. The point of this experiment was to see how would human beings react to a, you know, to a robot hitchhiking. You know, would people accept it? Would people run away in fear? <laughs> would people, you know, what would their reaction be? Now, admittedly, the social media aspect of this actually, I think, kind of ruined that that bit of the experiment, because like the story said, people already knew who Hitchbot was. And in fact, they were almost out there looking for him. So, you, you know, the experiment wasn't even, you know, wasn't necessarily that great uh, <laughs> from that aspect. Um, it is interesting, though, that it did get to its location, that people did help out. And in fact, that people completely went out of the way to give it a hand. Now, like I said, this robot does look relatively cute. Um, I'm, I'm in awe because I don't... <laughs> I don't imagine that <laughs> maybe because it was in Canada, right? In the U S I really wonder how this would have went. 
And the reason I say that is, is because it looks like the thing has gigantic sensors on it. Now it can somewhat to some degree communicate. They're actually kind of like LED screens. There's video here uh, where you can see, you know, what exactly it looked like. And the link is in the show notes to SovereignTech.com, of course. Just click on the episode and it's all there. Uh, but it'll have like, you know, it has this little LED, red LED, you know, kind of like you'd see by a Coliseum, you would, you'd have like this, this you know, the big LED uh, signs. And in this case, it would have a, you know, a smiley face on it. They did everything they could to make it look cute. Um, I would think that in the U.S., a lot of people would be very concerned about this. Uh, because they'd be like, well, you know, was this uh, is this an NSA program or something just to, to see how we'd react to, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, I that that's what I'm really looking forward to see is this, how this would be handled in the U.S. Because people here do seem to be, as we mentioned from our earlier story uh, with, you know, the celeb uh, nudes getting released. People seem to have this odd thing about privacy, or maybe they would be completely accepting of it. Just like they, a lot of people seem to be in Canada. Uh, as far as we know, not a lot of people turned down giving the thing a, the, a ride. They were just completely confused by its existence. Uh, now I have read some commentators on various social media who are very concerned about this in that they, this is a way of warming people up to, you know, artificial intelligence and warming people up to robots being a part of society. And then, of course, they're all being very, very scared about it. Now, some of those fears may be well-founded. Some may not be. Certainly, this robot is, I mean, just looks incredibly harmless. And, of course, then that's what those, you know, same conspiracy theorists would say is the point of it. Um. You know, I don't know that people would necessarily be so welcoming if this looked if this didn't look the way it does, if it didn't look so cute, if this looked more like, you know, say the the robots from uh, from the movie version, uh, the atrocity that or well, it wasn't that bad. But the movie version of iRobot, would people have been so accepting to give it a ride if it looked like something that could harm them? Probably not. Uh, I, I can't picture that they would. I mean, people are, are already so averse. Uh, and this seems by and large around the, you know, at least in North America, people are already very averse to the idea of hitchhikers. They have long been uh, trained to be afraid. Sometimes, you know, again, it's I'm not saying it's not understandable, but have long been trained to be very much afraid of hitchhikers through various uh, porno films and various horror films, sometimes a mixture of the two. But, you know, what are the chances that something like this may be something that, you know, like Hitchbot is something that we would actually encounter in the future where a robot by its own volition wants to get to point A from point A to point B. Well, that leads into our second story, which we're going to kind of meld the two. And this is from TechCrunch and this is from September. Uh, Google partners with UCSB to build quantum processors for artificial intelligence. Google today announced that it is expanding its research around quantum computing and that it has hired UC Santa Barbara's uh, John Martinez and his team, one of the most prolific research groups in this area, to work on new quantum processors based on superconducting electronics. Researchers in Martinez's lab were among the first to use this technique back in 2008. Google has long shown an interest in quantum computing, is one of the first companies to buy one of uh, D-Wave's quantum computers. Uh, now, of course, these quantum computers, real quick, are incredibly basic 
And I mean, are <laughs> not powerful at all, but it is interesting that two people that happen to own a quantum computer uh, to date, as far as I know, are Google and the United States government. Make of that what you will. Uh, for example, even when it was still unclear how or even if D-Wave's processor worked. Since 2013, Google has also been working on quantum computing research with NASA and the university's Space Research Association as part of its Quantum Artificial Intelligence Lab. Now, Google is going beyond using other people's hardware. With an integrated hardware group, the, Google, the quantum AI team at Google will now be able to implement and test new designs for quantum optimization and in, uh, inference processors based on recent theoretical progress and insights from the D-Wave quantum uh, annealing architecture. Google's director of engineering, Hartmut Nevin, writes today, Martinis and his team will be based in Google's Santa Barbara office and will continue to work with UCSB graduate students and uh, which read that as slave labor uh, because these graduate students aren't getting paid very well for doing what it would. I think a lot of people would recognize as being very important uh, and groundbreaking research. And as part of this partnership with Google, the team will also contribute to UCSB's fabrication and measurement facilities. Martini says that he is specifically excited about Google's expertise in mapping machine learning applications to a quantum computer. While Martinez doesn't uh, explicitly mention this in today's announcement, he is probably also referring to Google's hire of Jeff Hinton, a pioneer in the field of deep neural networking and who came to Google in 2013 from the University of Toronto as part of Google's acquisition of his startup DNN Research. While Google will, will now work on building and implementing its own quantum processor designs, Nevin says that the company will also continue to work with D-Wave and use that uh, company's Vesuvius machine in cooperation with NASA. So let me, real quick, let me talk a little bit about D-Wave's computers. Uh, these things are monsters. They are huge. Now, they're not as big as Dreadnoughtus, <laughs> but they are these gigantic black cubes. Uh, they easily, if you can picture, uh, do you remember uh, Enac, I think it was, Enac from, or is it Evac? Anyway, the warehouse size computers of yore from the 50s, uh, that, you know, the, they're not that big, but they're definitely filling a room pretty easily. And part of the reason that they fill a room so much is not because they run off of vacuum tubes, as computers once did, and that was uh, attributed to their size before the world of the transistor or the age of the transistor, it is because you have to cool these things and they require a tremendous amount of cooling for them to even operate. Uh, it is really, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not practical at all. There's a, there's a good reason, not just a, you know, perhaps a security or what some people would consider to be a conspiratorial issue as to why Google and the U S government are the only people that own one. It is because of the absolute expense of it. And frankly, those would be the two organizations that would probably, you know, have the money to even try it. Of course, the U S can just keep printing it out and Google just seems to keep making it with various successes. So quantum computing, and I want, I'll touch on this just for a second. Quantum computing, a lot of people have this, this very serious concern, especially when it comes to things like Bitcoin and other various cryptographic technologies, uh, that, that quantum computing would break all of that. 
And, you know, there's people who say, no, it won't. Yes, it will. No, it won't. Yes, it will. I'm firmly in the camp that, yes, quantum computing would certainly destroy any form of cryptography uh, that we really have today. And it would do it in a heartbeat. But it's when quantum computing gets to that level, because right now it's not at that level. Um, another interesting technology that is out there is that IBM, they're, they've created a chip that pretty much works much like a neural network. Now, what do I mean by neural network? I mean neurons. I mean your brain. It works like the human brain. The thing is, it's going to take decades for this processor to be able to operate at the, anything close to the speeds or to, to get to a point where it's even feasible and usable for the human brain to get to where it, it matches the human brain or it even matches modern processor power that has nothing to do with quantum computing. All of these technologies are certainly way off into the future. They are, I mean, they are so, you know, again, a good 20, 30, 40, 50 years out there, in my opinion. I think, and there's a lot of guys, in fact, Google hired the guy, Ray Kurzweil, who would tell you that, oh, no, we're, yeah, the singularity or AI is coming very close. It's very near. It'll be here. Uh, in fact, it'll be here in 2010. I didn't make a screw up there. That's something he had said. <laughs> so these guys, you know, they like to, they like to guess very, uh, they like to be very optimistic about these things. And optimism is what I want to talk about here, uh, because I don't think that Hitchbot and other experiments in artificial intelligence are really things to be that optimistic about. Um, in fact, I'm not the only one that feels that way. There are quite a few Liberty minds. I know that I highly respect that are very concerned about it. Elon Musk, is very concerned about it. In fact, there is kind of a consortium of Elon and Facebook and other companies that all bought into this artificial intelligent development firm. And Elon specifically said he bought in because he is very concerned about what AI could do. Concerned in that it could be the end of humanity. And he essentially has said he wants to be there to pull the plug if it's necessary. And so he bought a pretty controlling stake in the matter and kudos for him. Um, I think there's a lot of people who would be more than happy to have, and it's ironic that we talked about Terminator uh, earlier on, who would be very interested in this kind of Skynet thing. Um, we've talked about this before, where a lot of these blockchain technologies are very much discussing replacing you know, our, a lot of our analog ways of doing things um, and handing stuff over to that. And I guess you kind of, you have to ask what happens when, you know, when you turn the AI on, are we going to let this AI run things? Is there any way that the AI won't run things? Will it not take over? It's a great question and something I talk about often when we talk about blockchain technologies and my concerns with that is that when you hand over a lot of very uh, life-changing functions over to code and machine, you run the risk of what of iRobot, the book iRobot, not the, not the movie, but the book iRobot where it was Isaac Asimov, a brilliant man, one of the most brilliant men, men perhaps to ever uh, walk the earth 
who created the three laws of robotics. And in the three laws of robotics, he tried to make it very clear to show you. And if you read them very cursorily, if you read them, it, it looks like, okay, yeah, there's no way robots would kill a human being because the three laws just make sure of it. But then the entire purpose of the book, I robot is to show how a robot could logically deduce how a human being can die by its hands, more or less. And yet not break those three laws. Now, that's a lesson in the fact that the creations of humanity are always imperfect and, and they are every the universe is kind of imperfect. That's why you have the second law of thermodynamics about it. You know, everything getting to equilibrium. But here's the part that I think a lot of people miss with, uh, with iRobot, because a lot of people will bring up the point I just brought up to you, but this is the one they don't. It's interesting that Isaac Asimov deduced that the first AI, the first positronic brain that really started thinking for itself, which again is one of the other points of iRobot. And of course that, you know, goes on into other books like the caves of steel, etc. but it becomes the president of the United States. It becomes, you know, pretty much the president of the world. The AI naturally leans itself toward a position of power. Is it because it thinks it knows better? Is it out of some degree of self-preservation to make sure that the laws help his other robot brothers and sisters? What leads it to that? And I don't think anybody's asking that question. Um, I don't think that that's, that's coming out as far as, you know, if you create, there, there's some great books out there, many of which sadly I've yet to read on what there's the, the final invention. Uh, there's lots of things where people are fortunately giving it this kind of pessimistic view saying, Hey, you know what, if we turn this robot on, what happens? You know, if we turn this AI on, is it in its super logic, uh, you know, processes, super logical processes, is it going to say humans are a disease? Humans are a problem, kind of like in the matrix, right? Is anyone asking that or are we just going full bore towards getting AI? I don't know if Google's asking these questions. And it is interesting that there is the test of how will humanity react to robots? This is certainly a future that a lot of companies are trying to build. My concern with a lot of these companies trying to build this technology, be it, you know, Hitchbot, be it uh, D-Wave and Google creating quantum processors that can that have the specific purpose, the specific idea in mind of creating artificial intelligence. My concern is that I don't hear a wit. I don't hear a single, you know, uh, a comment that says that they don't believe in domination structures. I don't hear Google. In fact, I know for a fact that Larry Page does not have a problem with governments. I know he's not a libertarian, that he's not an anarchist. I have that information. I mean, it's secondhand, but it's from somebody that had Larry Page in his house. He told me personally. And yet they're going to be developing what is arguably, you know, the, the greatest advancement in technology, perhaps since, 
you know, the, the, uh, you know, the computer itself or the printing press or take your pick of the tech. AI is going to be a big deal when it happens, if it happens. And there's not enough people, just like with even the Internet, there's not enough people that I hear saying, yeah, let's let's think about this. Let's cover the ethics of this. And ethics are really important. And it's a field that's not getting applied to blockchain technology either. It's not getting applied to any of these technologies. Uh, you know, there, there's some people who say that, you know, in this course, there's there's two things that you're not supposed to talk about. You're not supposed about you're not supposed to talk about politics and you're not supposed to talk about religion. Now, when society tells you that there's a couple things that you're not supposed to talk about, what does that mean? That means you better start fucking talking about that stuff or it's going to ruin your life. And I agree. I think people do need to talk about it. I, you know, that's a really dangerous thing, in fact, that like in, in pretty much any business you go to work at, they're like, look, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. And that really, considering that most people spend most of their lives working and not playing outside, that's really telling about one of the reasons perhaps why we're not actually growing as a species or as a society towards a peaceful society, a voluntary society, right? Well, I would venture, let's add to that conversation, I would venture, and I'm not the first person to say this, we need to add technology to those serious subjects. Not that we shouldn't talk about them, but that we should be talking about them quite a lot. And we should be questioning them quite a lot. I think as much time as libertarians and anarchists question the idea of government and of domination structures, I think they should be very much questioning every single technological development that comes out instead of throwing their arms out, wrapping it around it, and pretty much, you know, dog-fucking it as a solution. But I guess that's why I'm here. That's why there needs to be a Liberty Tech show, right? No, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to have fun. But I think these questions need to be asked. And I notice I'm losing listeners. And I wonder if it's because people don't want to ask these questions. I'll be back with more. There's a lot of confusing information out there about Bitcoin mining. Customers have been burned by companies taking their money on pre-orders for Bitcoin mining equipment, only to receive their equipment late and miss out on opportunities to mine Bitcoins. But that doesn't mean Bitcoin mining is impossible. You just have to find an honest company to do business with. If you want to mine Bitcoins and you want to do it now, no pre-orders, no waiting. Look into the Antminer products from Bitmain. Their competitively priced Antminers are in stock and ship from the U.S. as soon as you pay. You could buy an Antminer today and be mining Bitcoins tomorrow. The Antminer line offers the best mining power per dollar currently available. 20% of the mining power in the Bitcoin network is contributed by Antminers. Not only that, but Bitmain is committed to support. You can get tech support and warranty service over the phone by calling 844-BITMAIN. For commercial accounts, they'll even travel to your data center to install your equipment. Get all the details at bitmaintech.com. That's bitmaintech.com. You're a lucky man, Mr. Sovereign. Not many win so well at the game of chance. That's because it's not a game of chance, Natalia. It's a game of choice. <laughs> game of choice. It is time for game of choice. And let's uh, 
this is kind of funny because there is a long lost, and in fact, it might be entirely lost, episode zero of Sovereign Tech that I never released, that I recorded as a demo. Uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy says she has it. I may release it someday. She's going to blackmail me with it. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I wonder what's... <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> I can only imagine, uh, considering all the things I've already done. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, and in that episode, I talked about what I saw as this really great development in the gaming world. And that great development was the Ouya, and that's O-U-Y-A. And the Ouya was kind of the first real... Uh, it was really the first attempt. It, this was a, a popular Kickstarter, and it is an Android-based... Uh, gaming system and it's really small like you look at the pictures of it you don't realize just how tiny the ouya is uh and yeah, again very successful as far as a kickstarter but when it actually got released it was designed to be this gaming system that was just gonna you know break all the rules uh you know push everything forward it was only going to sell for 99 dollars. it had to sell for under 100 bucks um, and you would be able to play various things on it. Well, things for the Ouya didn't work out so well as far as when it actually got into stores. Um, I love the system. I think it's really cool. I love its form factor. Uh, you know, I really like everything about it. And honestly, you know, the Fire TV from Amazon is really copying it uh, in a very real sense, along with other boxes. Some other people have come out with similar devices. Uh, so it really was ahead of its time, but it's just not, it didn't, you know, it's not banking the way it expected to considering the uh, the Kickstarter success of it. Now, I don't want to belittle the fact, of course, that that it was one of the rare Kickstarters that actually delivered what it said it was, uh, because those are incredibly rare considering how many Kickstarter projects are out there. Most of them, you just you never actually get anything out of it. But uh, unfortunately, it is on hard times and it is looking to sell off its business. Um, and it's not just looking in the U.S., though it is talking to Amazon and Google. Uh, it is also talking to Xiaomi in uh, in China, uh, which Xiaomi is a huge company in China. It's, the, in fact, the, the number one uh, smartphone, you know, mobile company uh, there. And this is interesting because I wonder if the Ouya, because it is already this great idea, and it really was, it was a great idea. It just didn't have great games. That was the whole thing. It's just it didn't have that killer app to go for it. Um, it had great games, but it, it, they weren't singular to the system. And so I'm wondering if this is what, because Google talked about, or there was rumors that Google was going to be coming out with some kind of TV Android gaming device. And so I am speculating that Google will be the one that ends up buying this out because it is one of the areas where with the fire TV being out there, of course, yes, there's Android TV, but it's not really the same thing. Is it as far as a game console? I am wondering if this is going to be Google's answer to a game console, because I think they need to come out with one. I think if you really want to take over a television set and you really want to take over the living room, you've got to do it with a gaming system. And I think that's been true since the eighties. I mean, I can certainly say in my, you know, when I was growing up in my home, the Nintendo totally dominated the living room. Okay. <laughs> the NES. Um, so this, this is, you know, I'll, I'll keep you posted on this. Uh, as far as, you know, the Ouya in itself isn't going to necessarily go away, but they are looking to get bought out. Um, I wouldn't mind if, if Xiaomi buys it too, that, or show me how, however you want to pronounce that. Um, I wouldn't mind that either. I know a whole bunch of people are like, oh, the Chinese are invading the living room. Well, 
whatever. <laughs> Let them, okay? Because they come out with great products, quite frankly. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not getting into the slave labor thing, please. Uh, <laughs> so the Ouya, it's not going to go away, but I think it might actually only get better. So even though it's hard times, maybe it's not so hard times. Hold on to that Ouya if you've got it. I'll be back in more. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Like many of you, I've known that cold sores or fever blisters in the mouth are a form of herpes. But I've always assumed that genital herpes is so much worse. Well, the fact is, these two forms of herpes are incredibly similar, and the symptoms each causes are also similar. So, why the added stigma for genital herpes? Why do we have special dating sites for people who have herpes in the crotch, well, we don't have the same thing for people who have herpes in the mouth. On the website of the American Social Health Association, it says that most of the 50 million Americans who have genital herpes don't even know they have it. Well, if most people who have genital herpes don't know they have it, then most don't have severe symptoms. Yet, we behave as if genital herpes is a terrible disease. Perhaps that's because it shows up below the belt as opposed to above. This is not to minimize the impact of genital herpes. It can be very bothersome for some people. So if you know you have it, learn all you can about it and be sure to inform a potential partner. And if you don't have it, try to protect yourself from getting it. But I think the same should be true for oral herpes, which could turn out to be the herpes we start worrying about more, given its proximity to the brain. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. You are quite the man, Mr. Sovereign. Are you busy tonight? Natalia, if you'll excuse me, I uh, just received a very important email. Later then, Mr. Sovereign. Important email. It is time for Important Email, where I cover the emails that get sent to me through the various channels available. Of course, Sovereign Tech at RiseUp.net is the main email for the show. Um, I, you know, I haven't brought it up, but there may be some email changes occurring in the future, probably closer to the time of episode 100, where I might shift things up a bit because I am, especially with Zomi offline games, you know, with that getting released, uh, and with the fact that game developers seem to get a lot of flack and, and boy, if you don't believe this, just read about what's been happening with blizzard and league of legends as of late, along with the, uh, the developer, uh, uh, is it David Fish or Peter Fish, the guy, the guy that made uh, Fez uh, a lot? Of, I mean, these guys and I'm not saying I'm, I'm my game is even going to even be close to these levels. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's my first game, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's it's more story than, you know, this incredible, uh, you know, new and original gameplay experience or anything, um, though there's going to be great gameplay, uh, please. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I am concerned that, that, you know, crackers really do seem to crack down on game developers as of late. It, it's a popular uh, target. And so I, uh, I, I'm very, you know, I need to really tighten up a lot more on my security. Uh, and we're going to talk about some security here in, in a second for, uh, for some of the, the emails that I've gotten. Um, but so anyway, just letting you know that there may be some changes in how you get in touch with the show 
in the near future. But I will, of course, keep you very much posted with that. And obviously, I would leave a lot of the avenues that have been around for a while open uh, for, you know, a certain amount of time so that people could still get in touch with me. And then I would just tell people, yeah, well, get in touch with me this way. Uh, anyway, speaking of emails, um, I was asked, someone actually asked me about with uh, with PGP. They said that recently it's been going around that PGP is maybe not the best idea. And I know the story that's been going around and I, I t was tempted to do it for Tech Roulette, but other people have already covered it really well. So I don't want to necessarily go into that. But they had heard of a thing called S-MIME. And S-MIME is the Secure Multipurpose Internet Mail Extensions, and it's S, and then it kind of has a backslash or forward slash MIME. Um, and what this is, is it's kind of an alternative to PGP. Uh, it's not as old as PGP, uh, but, you know, it's similar. It's used for similar things. And the person asked, do you recommend that I set up S-MIME, you know, and stop using PGP? Uh, myself, nobody knows, nobody, this, for a lot of my listeners, this might be the first time you've ever heard of S-MIME and no, that's the thing is that nobody really knows about it. And so I never really talk about it and nor do I use it. Uh, and is it better than PGP? Yeah. Cryptographically, it's not better, but user, user wise, yes, it's easier to implement, but most people just don't know what to do. Granted, when they see PGP, they don't know what to do either. But there's very much a large community. I mean, it's the network effect. You have a large community of people that use PGP. Uh, and so you can at least use that. Um, so as far as using SMIME, no, I, I would think if you are interested in getting away from PGP, uh, look into helping out maybe funding or, you know, contributing some amount of time or, you know, social media exposure, whatever, to projects that are not email at all uh, projects. I mean, that, that's kind of the thing because people are complaining about, oh, well, you know, PGP boy, it's been around since the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We should stop, you know, or is around before the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We should be using something completely different now. Uh, yes, I'm with you on that attitude that we should be using something far better than PGP. And even though granted right now, the implementation possibilities for PGP or, you know, what you, what you can do, the ease of use for it have changed drastically in the past year with things like, um, you know, whiteout.io and, and some others and like Mailvelope. Um, understand that email is, is even older than PGP. So if your philosophy is, is that we need to be using something that that's just way better because yes, we are much better at cryptography than we were when Phil Zimmerman geniusly created the wonderful, which, cause it's still solid today, PGP, um, you know, then then take to heart the fact that email is just as old if, and in fact, significantly older. So if your idea is that you want to get to something new and better, then you should question email in its entirety. Uh, and I, I've said that before on the show that I think we need to come up with something better than email. Uh, and, you know, maybe that'll that'll come when we get to a serverless world, which hopefully made safe will help bring us to. Uh, we will come up with something better than email. Uh, I mean, even RetroShare, which I absolutely love, even RetroShare runs off of PGP as its encryption. And at the base level, it's still kind of email, even though what I like about it very much is that it is completely serverless. Uh, it is, you know, it's all done client side. Um, so S-MIME, no, I, I don't really recommend. If you want to toy with it, okay. Uh, but I don't necessarily recommend that that be something anybody uses. 
Um, let's see. Next thing. Okay. Bitcoin 2.0 technologies. A lot of people have been asking about that. In fact, one person asked particularly, uh, in fact, it might've been a good while back. Uh, he had asked about, you know, what, what is your concerns with BitShares? Well, I'm glad I held off on talking about BitShares a bit because BitShares has really, uh, taken, taken quite the turn for the better. I was concerned about the company. Uh, I was concerned that nothing was getting released. Nothing was getting out there, which is the same concern that I still hold for Ethereum because there's nothing out there. It's got to be something usable that exists. Okay. Like uh, NXT and Blackcoin have achieved. So uh, BitShares, though, recently BitShares X, first of all, has, you know, gone up like a thousand percent in value. Uh, it, as far as on exchanges like BTER, which if you want to use BTER, there's a, uh, a great affiliate link at SovereignTech.com on the left side for you to use. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just doing exceptionally well on exchanges uh, the past couple weeks. Uh, and I am very proud of BitShares for achieving that. Now, why are they doing well? Well, there's a few things. First off, they did release their uh, their essentially their wallet software. It should be called platform software. Uh, in my opinion, it's not just the wallet. Uh, and it is, it is a beautiful wallet. It is very, it is right up there. I, I still think the NXT one has got them on, on overall design. Um, but the, the BitShares wallet is, is gorgeous in its own right. Um, and so they did that very well, but then also companies are finally, at least two that I know of are finally coming out with, um, you know, with, with BitShare, you know, blockchains, they are coming out with their, uh, you know, it's not like BitUSD, but they are coming out with their thing. And so it is technology that is now being used. And so it makes absolute sense that, uh, you know, absolutely that uh, BitShares X or BTSX is doing very, very well as far as valuation. Um, in fact, at one point it, it had, I think it took number three, it took number four, at least uh, might've taken number three as far as market cap. Uh, so BitShares is really, I think they're, they're proving their chops and they're doing a great job and I am glad they are, you know, that they are out there. Um, so that's, that's my thoughts on BitShares that they're doing pretty well. Um, as far as MasterCoin, got me, I I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what they're doing. So, uh, but then NXT, now this is really one of the more interesting stories. And then we're going to, we're going to talk about counterparty for a minute. Cause I got a listener email, um, about that. Uh, but with NXT, there is a messaging service called Nexty. That's N X X T Y. And this is for iOS and Android. And this runs off of the NXT blockchain. Okay. And it's an exciting idea. I've mentioned it before. Um, but interestingly, it is now being sold. Nexty is funding itself as an asset within the NXT, uh, the NXT, you know, crypto platform. And not only that, because there's a few of those out there that where, you know, you download the NXT client and you can, um, you know, that's what I should call it, client software, not platform. <laughs> Uh, software. Anyway, you download the NXT client and you can trade within these assets or you can pay a fee and you can actually create your own assets. But here's the interesting thing. And this, as far as I know, is unique and a first timer. And it's very exciting. Is that for the first time, a asset from a cryptocurrency, though calling NXT just a currency is a huge misnomer. 
is getting traded on BTER on its own rights. It's getting, <laughs> do, do you get what I'm saying? That an asset is actually getting put on an exchange and being treated just like any other coin. That's huge. And it's doing very well, actually, for what it is. I mean, this is, again, why aren't people talking about NXT? Where this should be the, I mean, outside of Denmark, because at least in Denmark, it seems they take the, the currency very seriously. You know, the banks and everybody over there is like, yeah, this is going to be the future. Did you hear what I said? An asset, not the coin. Yes, NXT is getting traded too, but an asset created within the platform itself is getting traded on an exchange right alongside Litecoin, right alongside Ethereum. Oh, wait, no, Ethereum's not getting traded because it doesn't exist. Sorry. Uh, right alongside, take your pick of the coin. That's incredible. That is a future that you just made. So again, really exciting, uh, you know, about, about NXT. Um, and I think kind of the premier place, and it is the place that's taking it very seriously now after the hack, even though that hack occurred, uh, you know, that, that we talked about for a couple episodes on this show, um, the hack that occurred with NXT where, you know, 50 million next were stolen from BTR. BTR is being totally on the up and up and being very supportive of the NXT community. Uh, so if you're looking to get some NXT, go ahead and get it there. Go ahead and put it in your wallet right away if you want. But if you're looking to purchase some, grab some Bitcoin and then run over, you know, run over to BTR and grab some NXT. And of course, feel free to use the link uh, on SovereignTech.com for that. Uh, but anyway, you know, and also this is also interesting because that is a, a lot of people said, oh, man, NXT is over after that, that, that attack that occurred, that hack. Uh, clearly not, because now it, its assets are getting traded. I, I'm sorry if I keep repeating myself, but I am just my mind is absolutely blown that this is a reality now. Right now, not in six months, not in six years, but right now it's happening. Because I think it's a great point that's been made is that the NXT asset exchange is for the very first time in the history of the world. Let me, let me, in the history of the world. There, I shouted it from the mountaintop. It is the first time that there is a genuine free market exchange. No governments involved. Now, if you're not into exchanging and all that stuff, that's fine. I mean, that, that's a whole other subject. But for those that are, here it is. It exists. Now, uh, moving on from NXT, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, Counterparty. Because I got an email from someone uh, with Counterparty, and they said that they had holdings in LTB coin, uh, which Counterparty, for those that don't know, it is a system that rides, uh, it is a meta layer, and it rides on the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay. And uh, this isn't a, a bad technology at all. I think it's pretty interesting and allows you to create uh, assets, you know, much like what, what NXT does. Okay. Um, and uh, you can create LTB coin. There's Tatiana coin, uh, of course, for uh, that. That's a coin that, that is created as an asset for uh, the artist. Uh, she's an incredible artist, Tatiana Moroz. Um, 
that that's on counterparty. There's lots of these things that are all based on counterparty, these assets getting created, and they all ride on the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, speaking of things that are doing well as far as valuation, counter uh, XCP or uh you know, counterparty, the coin is doing pretty well for itself, too. Um, and the person asked, you know, all there is, is there's what the client that you use for that is an online client, much like blockchain.info or uh, greenaddress.it, which, boy, I really like greenaddress.it for a, for a uh, Bitcoin wallet. Um, and it's called Counter Wallet, and it's all online. And the person asked, you know, hey, I've got a lot of these holdings. Should I be downloading a client or, you know, having a node, meaning something that's client side onto the computer, not something that's, you know, up on the cloud, up on the Internet? And uh, uh, no, no, actually, as far as I know, there aren't really any nodes because counterparty is based on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, there really isn't a node to to necessarily grab. This is sort of all done, you know, in the cloud, <laughs> more or less. Um, so uh, stick with counter wallet. It's really it is the premier way of doing it. Uh, in fact, and, and to prove the point also, um, the NXT client that you can install they are, they've been working and that's used to be called the Wesley client. Uh, that has been in test net for the online version of that, the cloud version of that for quite some time. Honestly, when that comes out, there's not a whole lot of point in downloading the, uh, the NXT client anymore because uh, of, of the simple fact that, I mean, since it does transparent forging and all that stuff and counter counter wallet counterparty does, doesn't do transparent forging. But a lot of the principles are, are kind of the same. I'm being very basic here. Uh, I would recommend people use the online wallet at that point, too, you know, with NXT. So online wallets for Bitcoin, it's a completely different story for something that is 100 percent proof of work. Yeah. Get your hands on a client. OK, keep your hands on the money. Uh, but when it's something that that you know, where it's a lot of it's done maybe via brain wallet or it's been designed initially online, just, just run with that. I think that's, that's perfectly safe. So yeah, as far as do you want some kind of node for counterparty? Uh, my answer is no. Um, I think using counter wallet is just fine and as secure as you're going to get, uh, because again, it's riding off of the Bitcoin blockchain. It's not, it's really not kind of its own thing. So the, the security issues of wanting a complete blockchain uh, aren't necessarily relevant. So I hope that helps um, with that, with that question about that. Um, I did have another email, someone else. I got an email from Brazil, from a listener in Brazil. I will get to that one next week. Um, I also got an email about intentional communities. Uh, someone wanted to know more about my thoughts on that, as I had said that intentional communities, even smaller than the free state project are what I see as perhaps one of the only real keys to getting a, you know, an anarchist society or to achieving real freedom in your lifetime. Um, they, they asked about that. I think I'll save that for another time. Um, so I'm just going to finish up. I mean, while we're talking about, since we're using this segment to talk about various uh, blockchain technologies, I guess we, we might as well uh, finish up. Um, just a couple others that maybe you haven't heard of. If you are interested in things that, you know, ones that I'm keeping my eye on, uh, which a lot of people do ask me that, Hey, you know, golden Stanley, what, what, uh, what, you know, what, <laughs> what cryptocurrencies are you watching? Um, I'm not watching Ethereum at all. Uh, I, I couldn't care less, but, uh, Cora, 
is one that I am very intrigued by, and that's at an incredibly low price. Uh, again, you have to buy these things. I'm not saying price is the most important thing because a lot of, my main interest in a lot of blockchain technologies has nothing to do with money. Really. It has nothing to do with the money, has nothing to do with the valuation. It has to do with where it could possibly take us in the future. Okay. So, but people are asking, you know, well, how much does it cost to get into it? Well, that's why I'm mentioning the price. It's not because it necessarily matters that much. Um, so Cora, uh, that's Q O R a, this is, uh, you know, this is definitely a Bitcoin 2.0 tech that is taking a lot of cues from NXT and it's trying to solve a lot more of the original. It is, it does use a new version of proof of stake, which I still have that proof special coming out where I talk about the various different types of proof. I've just a lot of research going on in that. Okay. Uh, so hold out for that one. Um, but this uses a new version of proof of stake. Okay. And so that intrigues me because it does use proof of stake. I am, a, uh, I, I do like proof of stake. I'm not saying it's the best thing out there, but I definitely think it's superior to proof of work. Um, BitShares, BTSX, BitShares X is doing great. Uh, I'm totally keeping an eye on that. Um, I'm not saying that necessarily it is the top technology out there. I am just saying that is something I am keeping an eye on. Uh, there is Crypti, C-R-Y-P-T-I. Uh, that's another one that I'm keeping my eye on, and that has some kind of like spending incentives built into it. Uh, and I think that that about rounds up the the ones that are that are really intriguing to me. And of course, Blackcoin. Uh, I think Blackcoin is <laughs> this isn't a pun, but it's the dark horse that's that's really riding all around uh, with 2.0 te technologies, and definitely something I'm riding along on. So there you go. I'll be back with more. Hey, everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Agent Sovereign, go to this webpage and follow. What kind of webpage is this? Is that Natalia? I better go to the website of the week. It is time for website of the week, where I cover websites that, uh, you know, I consider useful, interesting. Sometimes it's a website that's positively terrible. Um, but this is one of those websites that I actually find to be pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> in fact, you know, I mentioned real before I get into this one, I mentioned during this uh, important email, I said greenaddress.it. That is maybe I'll put it in the appendix because that is a uh, kind of a it's not a blockchain.info clone, but it is a Bitcoin wallet system that is, runs in the cloud, more or less, it is not a node, but it runs on everything. If you are looking into like one of the more exciting new Bitcoin wallets out solutions out there, that is the one I am really impressed by green address dot it. Uh, it works on, they have a uh, smartphone apps for it. It work even works on your Chromebook. Ooh, yeah. 
<laughs> uh, really lots of great security features. Uh, I mean, tons of security features, which really puts it uh, head and shoulders above most most wallets besides maybe Armory. Um, so do check out greenaddress.it. But uh, the actual website of the week I wanted to talk about this week is World Worldometers. That's worldometers.info. And this is uh, real-time world statistics, and that's what this website is all about. Uh, there is the very first statistic here is, of course, there's various ads on the website, unfortunately, but if you're using ad blocker, uh, those will disappear. Um, but it starts with uh, current world population, which as of my reading this, we are at 7,258,920,230, no, 240. Uh, so we are, well, point three billion people on planet earth um and then of course right under that there's a ticker for births this year and just this year as 2014 there have been almost a hundred million births uh, and the ticker just keeps going up uh, births today and this is of course midway through uh through saturday 250,000 births today um, i have no idea maybe last weekend there was an explosion since it was labor day weekend but um total pun there deaths this year 40 million i wonder how many of those are because of governments how many of those are because of the u.s actions in uh, in the middle east maybe half <laughs> no I, I don't know if it's half but i'm sure it's uh pretty high deaths today a hundred thousand i'm sure the u.s government had a pretty big hand in that one uh, along with other governments around the world and then uh, speaking of governments, we got numbers that go into government and economics, uh, public health care expenditure today. Uh, this runs into seven billion dollars as of today. We're just halfway through the day. Uh, public education expenditure equally seven billion dollars. Of course, this is around the world. And you can click on any of these. It's really great because you can click on any of these and you can get even further breakdowns of what they're talking about about you know per country uh etc cars produced this year 50 million uh are any of them even selling <laughs> bicycles produced this year nine almost 100 million bicycles produced in 2014 as of this count so this is really interesting and it gives you a great perspective on things i love this website uh, I use it all the time, especially for when I'm on the radio. Uh, it's very handy to just be able to have this quick resource to grab these numbers. Again, it's worldometers.info. Uh, but, yeah, that's exciting about the bicycle thing. I like that. I love riding a bicycle. I think it's awesome. Even when you live out, you know, more in the country, bicycles are still very, very handy. Uh, computers sold this year. Almost 200 million computers sold this year. And uh, now that's that's sold. That's not necessarily produced. Uh, produce that number is probably significantly higher. Um, and, you know, but but keep in mind, about 5 million of those computers sold this year are Chromebooks. That's pretty huge. Um, and you can click on, you can find out about a lot of that stuff. Society and media, new book titles published this year, almost 2 million. Now, I'm not sure how, you know, you can look deeper into where they account for all those numbers. But boy, that's amazing to think that there have been 2 million books published this year alone. That's huge. Newspapers circulated today unimaginably. Of course, this is around the world, and around the world newspapers can still be popular. 333 million newspapers out there. Can you believe that? TV, TV sets sold worldwide uh, as of just today. 
Almost 500,000 TV sets have been sold today. Anyway, there's environmental numbers, there's food numbers, stuff about water, energy, health, a whole slew of things. If you're looking for some perspective, worldwide or even local, head over to worldometers.info. This is amazing to see. I'll be back with more. This is Soccer Tech. back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time has come and gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. I don't know if I can get us away from that helicopter. Don't you have a gun? Oh, there's never a need for lethal force. I'll handle this. How did you do that? We'll be fine. A quick hack solves everything. Hack, sack. It is time for Hexec, and like the old saying goes, critics are the only relevant form of information. Everything else is just advertising. <laughs> I like to think I live by that one, but, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, I, I actually, I get emails and, and from people saying, look, do you like anything? Well, yeah, that's, that's why I actually, a lot of times I do website of the week or software of the week, just to, or game of choice, just to prove that there are things that I do like. <laughs> Um, but anyway, that's not necessarily relevant to HackSec because HackSec is where we talk about hacking and security issues. And one of the big ones that came out this week uh, from the deluge of, uh, you know, sensationalized security concerns from the media, uh, some live up to the hype. Most don't. Uh, the one like ones that do live up to the hype. Bad USB totally lives up to the hype and you notice not a lot of people are talking about that now because i think a lot of people just want to pretend it didn't it it's not happening uh, <laughs> or, or it's just the fact that yeah i mean they have to pretend because there's not a whole hell of a lot you can do about it um but this week uh, one of the more interesting ones was rogue and actually a, a listener of the show brought it to my attention um before i had found out, out about it a, a great listener a great guy and uh, but the story I grabbed is actually, and although I'll be using the story he linked me to um, as well, but it's from Forbes and it's rogue cell towers could be intercepting your call. Let's go ahead and read into this uh, by Dave Lewis. It seems rather far fetched at first glance. There is news that came out last week that rogue cell phone towers around the U.S. are forcing mobile devices to disable their encryption, making it possible that someone might be able to listen into your call. That could never happen to me, you think out loud. But apparently it could. 
In 2010, at the DEF CON in Las Vegas, security researcher Chris Paget, uh, Paget did the unthinkable. He built a cell tower of his own so that he could spoof legitimate towers and intercept calls. The device would mimic the type used by law enforcement agencies to intercept phone calls. In this case, he was able to build it for roughly $1,500, uh, $1,500 U.S. Paget's device could, would only capture 2G GSM phone calls. Carriers such as AT&T and T-Mobile would be vulnerable as they use GSM, GSM as in compared to like CDMA. Unlike Verizon, Rich relies on CDMA technology. I was in attendance for this, uh, and Sprint uses CDMA as well. I was in attendance for this particular presentation, and I had disposable a disposable phone with me at the time. During the presentation, when the device was switched on, my phone was more than happy to oblige and seamlessly associated with the contraption that was across the room. Had I not been aware that this was going on, it was uh, quite conceivable that I could not have noticed the change to the rogue tower. The point of this presentation was to raise awareness of the security flaws that affect GSM-related phones. Flash forward to today. I was sent a link to an article in Popular Science about a very similar type of tower that has been popping up all around the United States. These rogue interceptors do not identify themselves as opposed to towers that belong to towers that belong to the large cell carriers. The problem here is that the phones would not alert the user if the encryption was switched off if it managed to associate with these rogue towers or interceptors. So who is responsible for these interceptors? In one particular case, one of these towers was discovered at a casino in Las Vegas, as well as near several military installations. This is from Popular Science. Edward Snowden revealed that the NSA is capable of an over-the-air attack that tells the phone to fake a shutdown while leaving the microphone running, turning the seemingly deactivated phone into a bug. And various ethical hackers have demonstrated DIY interceptor projects using a software programmable radio and the open source base station software package, OpenBTS. This creates a basic interceptor for less than $3,000 on August uh, less than, yeah, less than $3,000 on August 11th, the FCC announced an investigation into the use of interceptors against Americans by foreign intelligence services and criminal gains gangs. Well, that's nice that they started an investigation. Um, but you know, that investigation could go on for literally ever, uh, and nothing gets done. As the FCC announced an investigation less than a month ago, I wonder what their plan is to deal with this apparent problem. Where are these things coming from? What are those people doing with the calls that are potentially, you know, that are being potentially captured? Back in 2010, FCC took the time to uh, call and let Chris Paget of the possible legal, uh, you know, let him know of the possible legal trouble he could be looking at through his presentation. He had a way to work around it. Paget received a call from FCC officials on Friday who raised a list of possible regulations his demonstration might violate to get around legal concerns. He broadcasted on a GSM spectrum from ham radios, 900 megahertz, which is the same frequency used by GSM phones and towers in Europe, thus avoiding possible violations of U.S. regulations. Hmm. So the FCC knew about this sort of issue as early as 2010, and they only decided to launch an investigation in August of 2014. How odd. I'd be very curious to see the outcome of the FCC investigation. So the point they're making there is that with Baguette's experiment or Paget's experiment, they knew that this could be done and they did nothing. So there's, before I get into the second article here, uh, this 
a lot. Some people have said, look, it's not like there's just these rogue towers. It's actually base stations, these entire base stations that are that are kind of rogue. Uh, and regardless, this is happening. OK, the, the finer points, honestly, in this case, don't necessarily matter. Uh, there's times where the, the, the finer points do. And this one, I don't know that it does, especially considering the nature in the Forbes article was great to bring that up the nature of the investigation into this matter in that it's trying to be, it would seem to be trying to be ignored. Uh, now this next article is from, uh, this is from Ben Swan.com following revelations from Edward Snowden, which showed that the government was comp compromising the cell phone activity of innocent Americans. Technology companies have worked to create devices that are beyond the government's reach. So here we're going to talk to some degree about a possible solution for this, a possible solution. The creation of a device called the crypto phone 500, shed light on the amount of data that was being intercepted from other devices using fake cell phone towers. According to popular science, the CryptoPhone 500 is a device which features high-powered encryption and is marketed in the U.S. by ESD America and built on top of an unassuming Samsung Galaxy S3 body. The CEO of ESD America, Les Goldsmith, said that the CryptoPhone 500 runs a customized version of Android that removes... 468 vulnerabilities that his engineering team found in the stock installation of the OS. 468 vulnerabilities. Goldsmith said that his mobile security team found that the version of the Android OS, which comes on the standard uh, Galaxy S3, leaks data to parts unknown 80 to 90 times every hour. Regarding the origin of these uh, interceptors, or let's see, yeah, interceptor use in the U.S. is much higher than people had anticipated. This is what we were talking about in the last article. Said Goldsmith, one of our customers took a road trip from Florida to North Carolina, and he found eight different interceptors on that trip. That's why I say it doesn't matter whether, you know, tower, base station, whatever. They're out there and they're happening. Regarding the origin of these interceptors, Goldsmith said that these are still unknown. He mentioned that his team uh, found suspicious what the, what his team had found suspicious was the fact that a lot of these interceptors are right on top of U.S. military bases. So we begin to wonder, are some of these U, some of them U.S. government interceptors or are some of them Chinese interceptors, said Goldsmith? Whose interceptor is it? Who are they? That's that's listening to calls around military bases. Is it just the U.S. military or are they foreign governments doing it now? I want to stop here for a second because, like we said, clearly the FCC knew about this kind of ability and technology in 2010, a la we're in 2014. How is how could there possibly how could these things be on top of military bases and nobody knew about it? Come on. Moving on. According to, you know, if if they weren't already U.S. government interceptors, if they were Chinese interceptors, really, how did they not know four years or however long later? According to We Live Security, the existence of these interceptors can only be seen on specialized devices such as the custom Android security OS used by CryptoPhone, which includes various security features, including baseband attack detection. Popular science maintained that the interceptors found in the U.S. vary widely in expense and sophistication, and that whether your phone uses Android or iOS, it also has a second operating system that runs on a part of the phone called a baseband processor, which we've talked about on this show before. Uh, 
This baseband processor worked as a communications middleman between the phone and the cell towers. A senior security consultant at uh, Matasano Security, Matthew Rowley, described the baseband processor as one of the more difficult things to get into or even communicate with. Now, I don't agree about that with the baseband processor because the baseband processor alone is designed to accept all exterior communications. Okay, this is, I did a a dark Android special a while back, and I talked about this. I said, look, the fact is, is that this baseband processor in your smartphone, okay, uh, is designed to just, you know, accept everything that comes its way. And a lot of tablets, not all, but a lot of tablets would have this too. Uh, That is a huge security issue that nobody wants to talk about and everybody wants to downplay. Okay, but regardless, I don't want to talk about the baseband uh, um, processor, you know, here, the firmware that that opened uh, BST, actually, that they talked about uh, in the Forbes article. But just the fact that, you know, this stuff, this isn't new. Okay, even though 2010 was the time where at least we know that the U.S. government knew about its ability of these interceptors, uh, you have the very famous, infamous room. uh, Was it 261A, 241A, 231A? Uh, by the, where AT&T and the U.S. government were in bed together and bought, pretty much bought apartments in various places around the country and set up entire listening posts designed to intercept, interceptors, to design to intercept data from cell signal and whatever else. The spying on U.S. citizens has been around much longer than George W. Bush has been in office, than President Obama has been in office, than any of these asshats have been in office. Uh, It's been around for a really long time, and they've, to to somehow, if somebody tries to spin these interceptors on a foreign government, that's a joke, because that means that this government, the United States government, hasn't done anything about it when they knew of their existence and ability. Either way, the U.S. government fucked up. There's no way that this beauty can get spun in a good way. Think about it. Think about that smartphone in your pocket. I'll be back with more. Hey, everybody. I really appreciate all of you that listen to Sovereign Tech. I hope you have as much fun listening to the show as I do making it. And hey, if you have a good time listening or learn something from listening... You can donate to the show. Just look in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. There you'll see uh, addresses for Bitcoin, Blackcoin, Next, Litecoin, whole slew of ways to donate to the show. And believe me, I'm not going to complain if you only send two millibits or what equates to two dollars, unlike some people. But, you know, also you can donate via PayPal using the affiliate links on the left hand side of SovereignTech.com. And oh, yes, please feel free to use those affiliate links. You can also help the show by circling me on Google Plus, following me on Twitter or following Sovereign Tech on SoundCloud. Anything you can do to help, believe me, it helps. So I love all of you and thank you so much for listening. Now let's get back to more Sovereign Tech. Well, looks like we made it out of the country. Good driving. Let's find some place to relax. Somewhere with a nice big bed, I think. Let me pull up an app. Sounds good to me. It is time for Software of the Week, where I cover software. Sometimes it's useful, sometimes it's terrible, sometimes it's something that's up and coming. 
And this is a case of something that is, it's out there, but it's really still up and coming. Um, and it's called Tox, T-O-X. And what this is, it's a Skype replacement. Pretty much a bunch of people on 4chan said, okay, you know, ever since when the, you know, the Snowden revelations came out, we need to replace Skype because that is a, you know, an issue. Now, myself, I, like so many people, for business reasons, pretty much have to use Skype if you are in that business. Um, much of my business with Free Talk Live occurs on Skype. Uh, when I have guests on Sovereign Tech, it relies on Skype. It's what everybody has. Uh, and do I hate Skype? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like the known spyware. It's been the known spyware for so long, even though uh, Skype in its philosophy in its idea and in its original implementation was really great. Uh, it really was. I mean, Skype had the right attitude of scheming their ways to not being a phone company because they did try to get regulated by the U S government as a phone company. They, they figured out how to, you know, make all that happen. Uh, they really, they, you know, it, it's a very interesting history with Skype, but people see the need for a replacement, a good open sourced replacement that isn't owned by Microsoft. Um, and Tox is such an attempt uh, to do that. And there are prototypes out there right now for Tox. It can't do all the abilities that Skype can do, but they are working on it for group video, all that stuff. Uh, yes. Okay. I know about Jitsi. I, I, there's Viber, which is not open source and other people freak out because it's made in Israel. So what, um, you know, there's anyway, uh, Tox is one of the ones that, that really has the very nature um, of privacy in mind. There's also Blink. I'm aware of Blink, which is another one. Um, but here's here's kind of the issue with with Tox, uh, because there has been some debate. Um, you know, apparently there's no plans for the company for Tox to monetize in any way. Uh, no one's getting paid. This is all being done, you know, pretty much out of just the passion of doing it, which I think is great. Uh, but that does not the fact that nobody's getting paid raises a concern. But one of the concerns is, is that they are trying to sell this as this is this is an anti uh, spy. This is a pro privacy piece of software. But they admit they only have like 15 uh, coders to, to check out the code for it. You know, it is open source, but there's not a lot of people looking into it, making sure that this is all solid uh, in the, you know, and the concern there is that if you don't have a lot of people to check your code, okay, because you don't want to fall into the open source fallacy. Okay. Open SSL is open source. Does that make it inherently good? No. Heartbleed. You only had one or two guys even looking at the code. And so Tox only has like 15. So that's a, that's a very serious uh, concern. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that you have very few people looking into it. Um, and so th there's even, you know, and, and you want to give things, yes, you can test things and you want to give it time and you do pen testing and all that stuff. If you want to donate your time to that sort of thing, it's a very noble venture, no doubt about it, but keep that in mind. I wouldn't, I don't want to recommend this to you, you know, as saying, yo, yeah, no, go ahead and do a drug deal with it. Not that my listeners do drug deals. I'm just saying the severity of, of the, the contact situation. I use that as a quick example. Um, I would not trust Tox with that, even if it weren't just a prototype right now without all of its features. Um, and let's see also the project let its warrant canary page go offline for a week, uh, a warrant canary. That's the, 
usually it's a, a website that states that a company organization has not been uh, uh, served by a, you know, a subpoena by the NSA. Uh, apparently for a week, it was gone because they put this up because they're trying to do it right. Tox, the Tox team seems to be doing everything right, you know, as far as uh, ideology goes. But then their website that was their warrant canary, which like Apple has, it's like, yeah, we haven't been, you know, and they'll make some clever wording to where, you know, it makes it look like to where there's a point where you could take out a word and then suddenly you would realize, oh, shit, they've been contacted by the NSA. Okay. Like if they'll put something like to date and then at some point they'll erase the phrase to date. Like we have not been contacted to date and then they'll get rid of that. So the concern is, is that they're actually their website and they, they said um, that they were just moving web hosts. But uh, that's again, considering what this what Tox is being developed for, uh, that's that's a very serious issue. They should have come out on front of that saying that, hey, our, you know, at least do that. Even that wouldn't have solved the problem. At least say, look, our Warren Canary site is going to be down for a week or something like that. Uh, you know, get in front of it or something. So I don't know. I would not even, again, even in its fully implemented form, I don't know if I'd recommend talks uh, with communications that are at the risk of your life. Um, so I'm just putting that out there. But you can check out talks. There's a link in the show notes where you can read up on it. I actually put in a nice art or a, there's a, a pretty good write up about it. Uh, and yeah, choose for yourself, but um, not something I'd use if, it, again, if my life depended on it. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Oh, oh Natalia. Oh, Oh, it feels so good. I'm so close. I know what you need. The Climax. It is time for The Climax, where I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Uh, it could be a movie, could be a topic, could be, hell, it could be poetry, it could be a TV show, uh, it could be a piece of hardware, you know, whatever. It could be anything. Um, and before I get into this week's main Climax because I like multiple climaxes personally. <laughs> um, I do want to, boy, that new Maroon 5 album. How about that? That song, Animals, man, amazing. Anyway, uh, that's not the main thing, or that that's not the big one, but <laughs> obviously. Uh, the other thing is I did finally see the new Godzilla, and I was very much underwhelmed. Um, they... Movie movie creators, you know, movie producers, a lot of times they just don't seem to get it. Like with Jurassic Park, you know, we just want to see the dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah, the story's nice, but we really just want to see a shit ton of dinosaurs. 
and hopefully the new Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic World, that's coming out. Um, hopefully they'll they'll keep that in mind. I love Jurassic Park three because it was just all dinosaurs all the time. The plot was barely exist, you know, just barely existed, and that's fine with me. And with Godzilla, kind of same deal. They they fucked up just like they did with the '98 Godzilla, the the 2014 one where they tried to, you know, give you emotional attachment to humans and all this stuff when they totally miss the point it's like no we just we want to see godzilla kick some ass we want to see nature just you know wreck everything uh, you know godzilla being a force of nature uh so yeah i i wasn't impressed i don't know if they're ever going to bother making another one uh, i mean visually it looked amazing and certainly uh i guess i would say i liked it better than i liked the matthew broderick 98 film but uh it wasn't uh yeah as a as a major fan of kaiju films which i am uh, I was not pleased with Godzilla. If you want to see a great Godzilla movie uh, that actually has some pretty cool humans in it, go check out Final Wars, Godzilla Final Wars. That was amazing. In fact, that was the last movie up until this one was released. Uh, and I mean, it was just a badass film. Really, really good stuff. Uh, if you want to see some great Godzilla. And it had a lot of great homage to to other various kaiju Um But that's not the main thing I want to I want to talk about. Uh, this week, I got a new computer or about a week and a half ago, I got a new computer and I want to talk about it. Uh, I want to talk about this machine and some of the new technologies out there. And it's a question I actually get asked a lot. I could have saved this for important email, but really I get so many emails. If I can squeeze something into somewhere else, I want to do that. Um, and this is what I ended up getting was a ThinkPad Edge E545. And pretty much any model of this, and it comes with various configurations, can be had for anywhere between the $500 to $300 range. Uh, you know, in between there, depending on various sales or whatever. Uh, easily acquirable via Bitcoin, of course, because Newegg sells it uh, along with other sites. And uh, ThinkPads are really, you know, ThinkPad, of course, originally was you know devised by IBM in the 90s, and they have long been kind of the stalwarts of the, you know, the cypherpunk community, uh, certainly of the business realm, though HP and Dell have made pretty good inroads in, in the business, in the enterprise uh, realm. Uh, but definitely, you know, people hold on to the Lenovo stuff for a lot of reasons. One is, is that Lenovo is very good about making sure everything they use is very compatible with Linux. Um, and even though I am running Windows 7 on this, and of course the main reason is, is that I'm using this computer for uh for development i'm using it as my workstation for creating uh the games for zomia offline games and uh the one i ended up getting was it cost around 400 uh add another 50 bucks for you know some extra parts that i put into it i suppose um, but i got it it has an a6 and that is an amd processor um, I also recommended uh, Mark Edge, who is my co-host uh, and boss at Free Talk Live. Uh, he ended up getting an A, what the one with the A10 in it, which is a quad-core processor. Uh, but the A6 is just a dual-core processor. And the nice thing about AMD that I really like about AMD, well, there's a few things. First off, no one really, I don't think anybody really appreciates the fact that the Bitcoin ecosystem uh, not economy necessarily, but the Bitcoin ecosystem would not really exist today as it does without AMD, without the fact that AMD is so good about, you know, opening up their drivers uh, and, and so many other things and overclocking, et cetera. They're really good about all of that. Um, 
the the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency community really owes AMD a big thank you. Not that AMD, you know, did it on purpose, but just the fact that they left everything so open to make everything so, you know, so easily usable because most miners ran off of Radeon cards. You know, in fact, uh, for for other, you know, for altcoins, that's still true that people, a lot of people are using uh, Radeon cards to do all that. Nobody's using NVIDIA. And of course, ATI Radeons are owned by AMD. You know, they're one in the same. And that was something I'd yet to own was the fact that now AMD is combining because they own radio, you know, because they own ATI, they are combining their processors with uh, their video cards and they're putting them onto a single die and they're calling this an APU as compared to a CPU and a GPU. And I know the technology of an APU um, and I, you know, accelerated processing unit. And I like, I love the idea of it all being in one. And really NVIDIA is kind of doing the same thing. That's what like the Tegra, the T, the K1 is all about. Um, the thing is, is you have to have software that takes advantage of it. And that doesn't really exist yet. So honestly, APUs could theoretically blow away you know, pretty much anything that Intel or NVIDIA does as far as power consumption and ability, you know, for the buck or per per watt. <laughs> OK, uh, I mean, it could literally blow it away, but there's nothing that really takes advantage of that. And I, it, it seems to be changing like Steam is getting better about supporting APUs. Uh, in fact, a, a great game that I love, uh, Strider, the, re the remake of Strider that came out this year. Uh, back in February 2014, works very well. Ironically, did not work well on my NVIDIA uh, Intel setup, but it worked perfectly on my APU. So there's there are people showing an interest in this technology, and I, I really, I'm a big fan of this. I love the idea of the APU. I hope it takes off for AMD. AMD's gotten a bad rap for so long, uh, which isn't deserved. There's only, only when they, AMD came out, was the first company to come out with 64-bit processors to the consumer. And for a couple of years there, they were beating Intel at their own game. Um, I'm not saying I have necessarily anything against Intel either. I'm just saying that AMD is really the company that is pushing ideas forward very much uh, as, as far as, you know, technologies and processing. So uh, I got that. And so far, I've been pretty pleased with my APU uh, and the computer overall has been pretty nice. Uh, now, again, it's a ThinkPad Edge and Paul Therott, the the host of Windows Weekly and um, What the Tech he he actually made a great point about the edge line because, yeah, OK, you can get it for 400 bucks. The average ThinkPad usually sells for well over a thousand. Why is an edge selling for a few hundred bucks instead? Is it a cheap computer? What's the deal? Uh, no, it's not because it has cheaper products. I mean, yes, the body's perhaps not may not be as well designed as a full on ThinkPad. But the ThinkPad Edge, and this is what Paul Throut was saying, he says, he says, it's like the Ford Probe. Now, for those that don't remember the Ford Probe, the Ford Probe was a computer that was or a, was a, a car, not a computer that came out in 89. That was a test bed for new ideas for the Mustang line. And they just like saw what people thought of it and got it out there in the real world. And so the edge in the computer world is the same thing. It is the test bed for new designs for the ThinkPad because I mean, just, just read reviews on ThinkPads and you're going to find people have their favorite year, just like any kind any car, just like a Mustang, honestly. Um, 
you know, where, oh yeah, this year the keyboard was great. Then this year they, they fucked up the bezel this year. You know, I mean, all this, you're going to read all this stuff. It's, it's really interesting. And so the edge was their opportunity to try new ideas to get beyond the ThinkPad purists. Not that that I, I'm not using it as a pejorative. So you're still getting a great computer. If, if you happen to be in the market for one, I definitely recommend uh, the ThinkPad edge. Now, I didn't find a model available on Newegg or Tiger Direct or wherever that or Amazon where it came with more than four gig of RAM and, and uses DDR3. Uh, definitely upgrade that RAM right away. <laughs> four gig, especially with what, what the APU tries to do, is not enough. Uh, you got to have, and it has two slots in it. And that, oh, that was another nice thing about the Edge uh, E545 is opening that thing up three screws and you're in there and you're inside. It was fantastic. And it, you know, nice two, two Ram slots in it. Uh, and, uh, I upgraded it to eight gig right away. Uh, and, and definitely the performance you saw it. Um, the wireless card in it was terrible admittedly. So to some degree, I guess maybe you're getting what you pay for here, but uh, I spent 30 bucks and I got a new wireless card. Unfortunately, I had to modify the bios because a lot of people don't know about this. But the FCC sends out what they call whitelists for various wireless cards that have been approved by the Federal Communications Commission. Um, and you have to get past that whitelist because some of these newer cards that use wireless AC and Bluetooth 4.0 have not been whitelisted yet. Or the BIOS in your ThinkPad, perhaps, has not been updated yet to where you can do that. Now, there's two solutions. One, you can replace the card and... By default, edit the BIOS, which is what I ended up having to do. I, of course, I had someone else do it for me. Um, and there's websites where you can do that, like uh, BIOSmods.org, BIOS-Mods.org. Um, or you could buy a USB dongle, like a really small one that will give you that new wireless ability. Now, I wanted the built-in ability, and it's easy to do. One screw will, will remove the panel that gets you access to the wireless card. Um, there was no stock BIOS update to do that wasn't possible. Uh, so that's your choices on that. If you ever decide to buy one of these things is to go with the USB dongle and the USB dongles work, especially with USB 3.0, you get fine speeds out of them. It's just sometimes they jut out a little more than I'd care for, which is why I wanted an interior design. I also put a solid state drive in it, and this is the first time I'm really trusting a solid state drive. Uh, I got a Samsung Evo 840. Uh, 250 gig. And uh, this will be the first time I'm actually trusting an SSD with, um, you know, as my primary drive. And I've always been opposed to it because there, there's various read, write. You know, you can only read and write to an SSD so many times. Yes, it's in the thousands and thousands, but it is still limited. And I question that any SSD is going to ever last the length of time that, you know, good old fashioned platter hard drives do where they go into the, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, and so the SSD though, the reason I trusted it is because Samsung, and if you're going to get an SSD, I recommend Samsung, uh, the Samsung SSDs have great software called magician that will allow you to set it up for what you're wanting it to do, be it performance, reliability, or capacity. Uh, and so of course I set mine for re reliability and, uh, just, to it, boy, does that machine really cook. So uh, th this ThinkPad Edge, the E545, at the end, I love it. You know, with a little upgrading, it's great. But 
laptops are getting to the point where you can't really upgrade them anymore. And this may be one of the last models where that's really possible, in my opinion, without spending $2,000, $3,000. So go ahead and check that out if you want. I'm very happy with it. I love it. Uh, it's been doing really well for me. Anyway, Carpe Lucem, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.